Pastor Xavier Reese illustrates the war of the flesh and the spirit. Isn't it interesting when we were in the world, you know, the first time we did something, man, we felt we looked around and, and we did it and go, oh, you know, you're guilty. But then the next time you did it, it wasn't as difficult. No big deal. But then you came to Christ and all of a sudden he pierced your conscience, he pierced your heart, and now there is a renewal in conscience. There's conviction now by the Holy Spirit. And that's God's grace. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. If the born-again experience is the beginning of a new life in Christ as Lord and Savior, the Apostle Paul speaks of the added responsibility the believer then has to reckon the old man dead on a daily basis. And as we'll see in today's study, if not dealt with, the carnality of man poses a constant threat to a follower of Christ's spiritual walk. And coming up, Pastor Xavier lists some important marks of the flesh to avoid in today's Simple Truth study drawn from the fourth chapter of the Epistle of James. Too often believers read the New Testament with an idealistic viewpoint. And they read the New Testament and so often today looking at some of the problems of the church, they say, we should go back to the apostolic church. But if we take a careful look at the New Testament, we will find out that the first century church was really in sad shape. For most of the epistles that are written are corrective epistles. They're reproving. They're correcting. They're calling out sin. Paul the Apostle even tells the Corinthians in chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians that he could not speak unto them as unto spiritual but as unto carnal, even babes in Christ. James, in chapter 4, verse 1 through 6, provides for us three important things about a carnal Christian. And make no mistake, a carnal Christian is one who has accepted Christ. For a person who has never accepted Christ is dead in trespasses and sins. Seventeen times over, James calls brethren through this epistle. Every time I have read this epistle in the years past, I've always looked upon it as a very exhortive book, just exciting. But it never hit me as it has this time that James has in mind a group of people in the church that are very carnal. They're living for themselves. Listen for yourself. He says, Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires to, for pleasure, that war in your members? You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war. Yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your own pleasures. Adulterers, adulteresses, do you not know that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealousy? But he gives more grace, therefore, he says. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Three things James tells us about a carnal Christian. 
The first is found in verses 1 through 3. He is dominated by his sin nature. Secondly, in verse 4, he is drawn to the world. And thirdly, he is disobedient to the Holy Spirit. And you find that in verse 5 and verse 6. Let's look at the first in verse 1 through 3. A carnal Christian is dominated by his old sin nature. Now when we speak of the old sin nature, we are talking about that fallen, depraved nature that only allows man to sin. He can do nothing but sin. Every one of us, before we came to Jesus Christ, we were born into sin and trespass and sins, and we could do nothing but sin. And the longer we lived in the world, the easier it became because we calloused our conscience that God gave us as a level of standard, of morality, of right and wrong. But when we came to Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us that we obtain a new divine nature. This does not mean that we become gods or we are gods. It means that now we have the ability to live above the sin of the world. We no longer have to sin. We no longer are slaves to sin. But at the same time, though we have the ability not to sin now as Christians, we must never forget that the old man, the old sin nature is ever present with me. Is there anybody here who says that the sin nature, once they came to Christ, left them and they have no more struggles? Would you mind standing up? And so Paul says in Romans chapter 6, verse 6, that our old man was crucified, past tense. But then in verse 11 through 13 says, we are to reckon the old man dead daily. That is my responsibility as I depend on Christ and the power of His Spirit to reckon the old man dead and not to yield the members of my body to unrighteousness and sin. Before coming to Christ, I couldn't help but doing that. I couldn't stop. When I came to Christ, now I have the ability not to sin because God says He will never allow me to be tested more than I'm able. But with every testing, show me the way of escape in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. What a tremendous verse. Now, the first thing we note here about the carnal Christian who is dominated by his old sin nature is that he lives in a constant condition of warring in the energies of the flesh. Where do wars and fightings come from among you? Though he has accepted Christ as his Savior, he still has control of his life and he does not submit to the Lordship of Christ. Now, be careful of some teachers today who will tell you that it is impossible for you to be born again and not submit yourself to the Lordship of Christ. Paul teaches us that you can be born again and still be running your own lives in the energies of the flesh. And he calls that Christian a carnal Christian in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. This is what James is talking about. He calls them brothers in the epistle throughout. They're Christians. And yet James points out that they are living in a constant condition of warring. War speaks of a chronic and constant condition. The fighting speaks of the individual conflict that they have, whether it be a battle with your 
uh, your sexual desires, whether it be a battle with materialism, whether it be a battle for uh, dress on the outside, whether it be jewelry, whether it be dress to call attention to yourself, whatever it may be. It can be eating. You eat too much. You feed your face more than your body needs. That's equally a sin. And so he's talking about that life that is mastered by the body needs, the body drives. Remember that God told Cain in Genesis 4-7, he says, Cain, why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? He says, but be careful because sin lies at the door. It's like a ravenous beast ready to leap upon its prey. That's a picture of sin. I am born again, but in me there is my old sin nature, my old man, that is there like a ravenous beast to leap upon its prey if I will allow it. I have to reckon him dead daily. He always wants to make himself available. He's very courteous. At times almost persuasive. But we dared not give him the upper hand. Paul tells the Galatians that the flesh and the spirit lust one against the other and they're contrary to the one so you cannot do that which you would. Isn't it interesting when we were in the world, you know, the first time we did something, man, we felt, we looked around and, oh, and then after all that turmoil, we finally did it and we did it and go, oh, you know, you're guilty. But then the next time you did it, it wasn't as difficult. And then the next time it was easier to the point where you came where it was just, hey, no big deal. It's a matter of life. But then you came to Christ and all of a sudden he pierced your conscience, he pierced your heart and now there is a renewal in conscience. There's conviction now by the Holy Spirit. And that's God's grace. The carnal Christian also, he lives in a constant condition of seeking pleasure that war in his members. For he says, do they not come from your desire for pleasure that war in your members? You see, he lives for pleasure. That which appeals his flesh, that which feels good, that which brings him satisfaction. And so he lives a roller coaster life because he lives his life by feeling, not by faith. He lives his life by seeking pleasure, not by seeking God. He minds earthly things and he makes provisions for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Isn't it amazing how often we can find the tracks of how we are the ones that led to our own fall? And somehow we think we can get over on God and say, Oh, well, Lord, forgive me. You know, I didn't know. And he, he sees clean through. Now, we do that with men. And somehow we can get past them, but we cannot get past God in that form of deception. For he sees all things. All things are open and naked with him with who we have to do. Paul says about the woman who lives in pleasure while she lives, she's dead while she lives. Moses gave up Egypt for all that it was worth giving up sin who has pleasure for a season for the riches of Christ. There's an interesting scripture that the proverb says that hell and destruction are never full and neither are the eyes of man ever satisfying. We have this insatiable thirst for things in our flesh that if we don't submit those desires to God Man, we'll just go for it. Only the Spirit of God can control that. No man can control it himself. The carnal Christian is a slave by choice, catering to his own flesh. He also lives in the condition 
very frustrated. Look at verse 2. You lust and do not have. Now, there's no punctuation in the uh, Greek or the Hebrew. The punctuations are put there by man. Uh, this is a difficult verse. Some believe it should be written, You lust and do not have, so you murder. And then you covet and cannot obtain. You fight in war. So they're in couplets. In other words, the first thing we see about this man who lives in utter frustration is because he sets his heart on things and fails to get them. Therefore, he murders in his heart. You know, he sets his heart on something. The word lust is to set one's heart upon or to long for. And by God, he's going to get it and he does everything. He doesn't even bother to ask the Lord. He doesn't even counsel. He doesn't pray. He doesn't say, I'm going to get it. He runs his own life. And when it doesn't come to fruition, what happens? He's frustrated. Secondly, because he covets what is not his and he cannot obtain it. He looks at other people who have things, who have greater privilege, who have more money, who seem to have it a little better. And he uses their position to talk them down and to elevate himself and says, well, if those guys were really Christian, they would help me out. If they were really Christian, they couldn't drive that kind of car. They couldn't. And, and, and it's almost like, well, it's, it's, it's hypocrisy. It's false spirituality. When in reality, that person that may have the goods, may have the materialism, may have the plenty, he may submit it all to the feet of Christ and he doesn't live for it, but yet you who have nothing, you are living for things and you're frustrated and you're coveting always. That's a sign of carnality. But thirdly, because he lives in his fear of carnality daily, the fightings and wars continue. It's an ongoing process. He says you fight and war. Now, I have a funny suspicion that this is exactly the whole thrust of James' epistle. For in chapter 1, the believers there were ready to blame God for not giving them the sufficient wisdom. Therefore, they were saying that God was unfaithful to the test of life. That's a mark of carnality. They equally were ready to accuse God of leading them into sin. That's a mark of carnality. Man leads himself into sin. The end of chapter 1, they were putting on an air as being religious, but they were omitting the heart of true faith, passing themselves off as something they really weren't. That's carnality. In chapter 2, they had favoritism between the rich and the poor. That's a mark of carnality. They wanted to say they had faith, genuine faith, but they did not demand of themselves the works that followed. That's a mark of carnality. In chapter 3, they presume upon the teaching office they were never called because of the glamour, the attention, the praise. That's a mark of carnality. They battered and destroyed people with their tongue. Praising God with the same tongue and cursing man, that's a mark of carnality. They were living their life out in human wisdom, not divine wisdom. That's a mark of carnality. And he nails them, beginning chapter 4. <laughs> You're carnal. You're not living under and through and by the provisions that God has made possible for you. It's terrible when a Christian lives like that. 
Because he's not living abundantly. And he's being a bad witness for Christ. The end of verse 2 and verse 3, it says that he lives out of fellowship with God. And this is probably the most devastating. He says that he does not have because he does not ask. And he asks but doesn't receive because he asks amiss that it may be spent on his own pleasures. First of all, he knows that he's in sin. He knows he's not right with God. He's running his own life. So he doesn't dare come before the throne of grace because he knows that sin hinders his relationship with God. Are you in sin this morning? Then your communication with God is hindered. You can pick up a telephone and dial a number and begin to talk on the person on the other end and then cut the wire and you can continue to talk and deceive me but you'll never deceive the other person on the other end. That's what happens when sin comes into a believer's life. Communication, fellowship is severed from God. And so knowing this, he no longer goes to God. He doesn't spend that time in prayer. But he tries to obtain and to live out a life as if he's all right by doing things in his own energies and adding to his own life. While in all reality living under frustration. But secondly, his sin has blinded him as to the nature and the motive of prayer. So he does not receive when he does ask. In this position, this carnal individual has lived such a long time in this that he has even talked himself into, rationalized, deceived himself that God has made an exception for him. And though he knows he's in sin, he still asks. But even in his asking, he asks with the wrong motive of the heart. He's only seeking to gratify himself. It's under the wrong motive and it's for the wrong purpose. And therefore, James says, you do not receive. Heavy. God has given to us the privilege of prayer to communicate with him that his will would be done. That we might line up ourselves with his purposes. And yet whenever we abuse that. We can deceive ourselves. But we're out of fellowship with God. A carnal Christian is out of fellowship with God always. Now there are plenty of examples throughout the scriptures of carnality. Remember Lot. Lot looked over to the plains of Jordan. They were well watered and green. And he set his eyes and he pitched his tent towards Sodom. The next time you find him, he's in the city. He's sitting at the gate and he is the judge of the city. What are you doing there, Lot? Oh, I can handle it. I just know how far to go. And I'm cool. Be careful. Let him that think he standeth take heed lest he fall. Lot was carnal. Korah, Moses, Aaron, you take too much upon you. Is God only speaking through you guys? And Moses, and Aaron, well, I don't know. Let's ask the Lord. Lord opened up the earth and swallowed him up. Carnality. Desiring something that was never his. What are we to say about Achan? Who God says, don't take anything that's a curse, but dedicate it to me. And he looked at the Babylonian garment, the gold, the silver, and he took it and he buried it. And he brought sin into the camp 
and Israel was crippled from victory. Are you willfully living under carnality and still coming to a church? Do you know that you're hindering a church? Now, I'm not telling you don't come. I'm telling you to repent. Get your act together. Because as long as there's sin in your life, you hinder the camp. And you hinder your own life. And you hinder your family. You hinder your children. You see, the carnal believer is dominated by his old sin nature. And that's where he lives. But not only is he dominated by his old sin nature, but he is drawn to the world. Verse 4 says, Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that the friendship of the world is an enemy to God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Now I don't know if you feel the weight of these words, but these words are not words that you just flip your lip at. These are caustic words. God is the most judgmental person you want to see wrath. And yet he is the most loving person. Because he wants us to get our act together. In and through his son. And so he's drawn to the world. The reference to the world here is the evil system that opposes Christ. Jesus said in John 17. As he was praying to the father. In verse 14. The world says hates you. To his disciples. Because at first hated me. I am not of the world even as you're not of the world. Now, people are always trying to get away from the world in Christ after a while. When we first come to Christ, we're bold. We're all, oh, yeah, this and that. But then we start getting a little, you know, we just start getting scared of the world. And we're finally looking for a pew to crawl under. The church has fallen into that mistake often throughout history. During monasticism, the Catholic Church said, let's build monasteries and send our men out there. Let's get spiritual. Let's serve God. Let's crawl in a cave. That doesn't make much sense. Jesus says, you're not of the world, but you are in the world. The boat belongs in the water. It's when the water gets in the boat that the boat gets in trouble. Stay in the world. You're the world's only hope because Christ is in you, the hope of glory. And so we dare not try to run away from the world. But at the same time, we recognize as 1 John 2, 15 through 17 says that all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, the pride of life is not of the Father, but of the world. And he who loves the world does not have the love of the Father in him. This doesn't mean that you live a life so rigorous and so legalistic because the church for so long has made it so legalistic that people have gone away from the church because the, the church has said, you can't do this, you can't do that. I am so free in Christ. Do you know how free you are in Christ? All things are lawful, Paul says, but all things are not necessary. All things are lawful, but I will not be brought under the bondage of any. Do you have to do something? Then you're not free. And that can go from eating to having a Dr. Pepper to your profession to anything. I realize that all things are not necessary, but I am the freest in Christ. It's not a matter that I can't do that anymore. It's a matter I don't need to do that, and I don't want to do that, and I choose not to do it. That's freedom. Pastor Xavier Reese 
has been passing on various admonitions against living as a carnal Christian that we find in chapter 4 of the epistle of James. And there'll be many more simple truths to come in the balance of the message next time. But if you've missed any part of today's message, you can hear it from beginning to end again anytime online. Just look for today's date when you click on the radio listings link when you log on to CalvaryChapelPasadena.com. Or if you prefer your own personal copy, as always, you can pick up a CD. And the title you want to ask for is simply Marks of Carnality. We have them available for only $4. And this might be a helpful study you'd like to pass on to someone in your church or Bible study when you're through. Now, once again, the title to ask for is Marks of Carnality, or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. And then join us for more Simple Truths next time with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 